is an attacker and enemy synonymous? What makes our enemies tick? How should we prepare in training? Find out the answers to these and other questions in today's episode. From the dojo to the octagon, we bring you the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast! Welcome to another edition of the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. This is your co-host Sri Pendikatla, and with me is co-host Shihan Russ St. Hilaire, 7th degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. Happy New Year, Shihan, and I'm um, glad we're uh, starting these up again this year. Absolutely. We have a lot of great subjects to cover and, and uh, lots of new interesting things to talk about. So let's get started with uh, a subject that you brought up, and I think it's a great way to start out our new year. Sure. So the subject today is knowing your enemy. That's a good one. Everybody that's a martial artist imagines uh, their self-defense scenarios and imagines a specific enemy or attacker. And I think we should talk about that and, and give people a realistic view of, of really what they're training for. So that when they're training, they, they know exactly what that's for and they don't imagine things that aren't going to happen and, and are aware of things that potentially could happen. Of course, you know, in my my own head, I'm imagining somebody who's trying to attack me or my family and I can't really materialize a face in front of that person I mean, obviously, when I'm practicing, it's with, with another student that's in the class, uh, and, and I'm fairly familiar with everybody, so I don't really look at them as my enemy, per se. Right. And I don't know if that's something that's, that I should be worried about, or if I should superimpose an actual combatant or somebody who's really aggressive and you know, doesn't like me on, you know, on top of their face. So when I do defend or attack that I should behave that way, that's, that's just something that I've always struggled with. And I think a lot of students do. I, I think most students, not all, but most students come from a relatively peaceful background. They're not, they're not necessarily people that get in fights all the time or are attacked. Um, they're people that are preparing and, and they're making sure that they, you know, they have their bases covered and they'll be able to take care of themselves in case something uh, does happen. And so I think one way that we could all think about it more clearly is if we defined the difference between an enemy and an attacker. Let me walk down that path a little bit. An enemy is not necessarily someone who's going to attack you. So an enemy should be somebody that's more considered somebody that has something personal against you. Uh, they they want to see your demise. They want to maybe take your position, uh, your job, um, your dignity. You know, maybe they want to ruin your reputation. Um, you know, maybe they want to take away the things that you've worked hard for. And I'm not just talking material things. I'm talking about sort of your position in life. Uh, and of course, an enemy could be in a situation where you're in the military, right? And then there's an actual enemy on the other side. But what's common through all that thread is there's preparation, there's planning uh, to do something negative to you because personally, we don't like you for some reason or we want to ruin your life in some reason. And that's a little bit different than an attacker. Now, I'm not saying an enemy couldn't be an attacker. It, it could be. Uh, but most of the time, that's really not the case unless, of course, you're in the military. Uh, an attacker is something different. Usually it's very impersonal. Um, it's not 
somebody who typically knows you, although that can happen, and we'll talk about that, uh, but typically they look at you as a victim of convenience or a victim of opportunity, right? They, they want to use a circumstance or set up a circumstance whereby they can do something. And typically those somethings uh, have to do with taking things away from you. It's, it's typically robbery, right? They're, they they want to take your money, your car, your watch, um, that sort of thing. So that's one type of attacker that's going to use uh, opportunity or convenience. Uh, the, probably the second most, I would say, um, prevalent attacker that we're going to run into would be sort of the drunken assault. So you're in a situation, people are drinking, um, you know, words start getting thrown around. Maybe it's not even directly between you or not, but suddenly things get loud. And next thing you know, there's fists being thrown and, and it's a sort of a, a drunken assault. Or, you know, maybe you're leaving a bar with your wife or a restaurant with your wife and some drunk guys on the sidewalk and they're going to just start talking shit. And next thing you know, you know, that turns into attack. So that, that's another thing that I think uh, we can prepare for. Um, and then the attacks that are fear-based or ego-based and that's everything from somebody who feels threatened by you, someone who is fearful of, of other people or fearful of, of being taken advantage of so that they strike out first, or people that have an ego that's really sort of out of whack. Um, and this can range from anything from, you know, these, these police-type assaults and attacks that happen, which are fear and ego-based, you know, all the way to, you know, uh, somebody who's working out at the gym with you and, uh, you know, feels like you're doing better than he is, or, you know, you're getting more attention and those kind of things can lead to an attack as crazy as that sounds. Um, other attacks that could possibly happen would be sort of racial or sexual orientation type attacks where, where people through their bringing up or through their peer groups have developed a negative connotation of somebody of a different race or, different sexual orientation and just feel that they have some kind of, uh, you know, philosophical right to, uh, you know, attack or assault someone like that. Um, and there's other, you know, discriminatory reasons. I mean, you know, uh, maybe they don't like you because you have red hair or maybe they don't like you because, you know, you're a hipster and they hate hipsters or, you know, whatever. These things that don't really make a lot of sense. But for some reason, there's uh, it brings up some kind of feeling of unease or fear or something in, in this other person. They feel like they could attack you. And then the other two that could potentially happen, I mean, probably not likely, but, you know, uh, it, it could happen. Is some sort of psychotic uh, type person, either drugs or psychological problems that suddenly are in your environment and, and could certainly be dangerous or, or hostage situations like on mass transit, uh, airplanes and buses or in movie theaters or, or those type of violent attacks where, again, you're not you're not the individual target. They, they, you know, they don't just hate you. It's, it's more of, you know, lashing out against people in general and you just happen to be in the, in the crossfires. But by far the ones that we're probably going to run into most are, are robbery, some kind of drunken assault, fear and ego based and potentially race, racial, you know, sexual orientation type things. Now on top of that, um, I want to also say there's another category which we should be aware of, especially as instructors, which is uh, domestic uh, violence or sexual assault. So those type of attacks 
are kind of in their own world. They're they're not really always victims of convenience or opportunity. They're not really necessarily an enemy. Uh, it's someone who feels like they need to exert power on somebody that they feel that they can take advantage of. And I would say by far the uh, victims of those attacks are, are people that the attacker knows and knows very well, knows intimately, is in the family, uh, is a girlfriend, boyfriend, you know, uh, co-worker, that, that sort of situation. Um, and, and again, so there is that uh, possibility. Um, but again, you know, using the right vocabulary that someone is an attacker and knowing the reasons why you get attacked as opposed to someone is your enemy gives us a good start as to uh, thinking about who our potential attackers might be. What sort of goes through a person's mind as they uh, initiate an attack uh, towards any of the said victims? And I'm sure it, it varies by by the attacker and the, by reasons, motives, by reason. Sure. Yeah. I, I would say, um, you know, unless it is some sort of well planned out, you know, specific attack on a person, which is what often a domestic attack is, um, then I would say it's a very, um, emotional, very quick emotional response. Um, you know, if somebody's walking down the street and they're thinking to themselves, you know, um, I need cash. I got to get some cash for my drugs or whatever. So I'm going to rob somebody. Uh, there's a, a ton of people. They have a choice to, to attack, right? To rob, but they're going to look for the easiest, right? That victim of convenience. What, what is that person that I feel is going to give me the least resistance looks to me like maybe they're weak mentally first and, and maybe, maybe physically second, but definitely mentally first. I can tell by the way they walk or move. I can see kind of see or smell the fear on them. Um, and what people have put themselves in sort of a, a fringe area where I'm not going to have my crime really, really noticed. Now, obviously that would be the best scenario for an attacker, but sometimes they don't, they don't care. They just, they just make it happen and, and run off. But um, I, I think often they're looking to make sure that they can get away with it with the least resistance possible and the least observation possible. So um, I think that's what's going through their head is, you know, how do I, how do I pull this off? And, you know, how do I not get hurt doing it? And, um, you know, there's a certain, level of fear on their side too. They don't know, do you, does this person have a weapon? Um, you know, is, is there a copper on the corner? Do they have friends that are going to come and, you know, beat my ass? They, they don't know. So they're, they're operating on this very animal fear, uh, which is going to make them very fast and very strong and very aggressive. Uh, so I think that's what we have to be, uh, prepared for. I know in conversations I've had with people that have been attacked, um, always came as a complete surprise. And when they described it as a surprise, they weren't talking like, you know, wow, somebody jumped out of the bushes and attacked me kind of surprise. The surprise to them was that somebody was attacking them at all. They, they just simply couldn't believe it. Even when the person was like holding onto their shirt and punching them in the face, you know, two or three punches in their brain was still telling them, nah, this can't be happening. You know, this is, this is crazy. Why would anybody do this? And so, you know, that's the kind of, of surprise I think we have to be mentally prepared for is that 
we as really nonviolent people, generally martial artists are nonviolent type people, are going to be incredibly surprised and are not going to be able to wrap our heads around someone who wants to physically injure you or physically assault you or to take things from you. Um, it's, it's just very hard to wrap your head around. So that's why I think it's really important when you're practicing a martial art to have a lot of um, scenario-based training, a lot of repetition so that you react quickly, but also a lot of mental challenge, uh, things that push you way beyond where you think you could go. Teachers that make up things on the fly that you're just like, what? That's insane. Why would I, you know, I don't want to do that. Like that sort of training really helps your brain be prepared for uh, an actual attack. If we can just talk a little bit more about the attack itself while it's happening. Okay, you're into the third punch and now we're finding like, okay, this is really happening and I need to I need to defend myself and our jujitsu training kicks in and we're we're starting to defend. Right. What could happen potentially? Can can the attacker get angrier? Maybe something inside their head, you know, snaps and they they just go ballistic on you, or will they back off, thinking, oh, this guy's uh, or woman is is fighting back really hard. I, I don't want to deal with this. Right, right. And the answer to that question is yes. So I mean that uh, all human beings have the fight or flight, you know, response in them. And I don't know which one it'll be. It'll be one of them. You can't really depend that they're going to do one or the other. I mean, they may very quickly feel overwhelmed and they're just like, I'm out of here. I can find an easier victim like somewhere else. Or they may get very angry and, and uh, you know, really come back at you. What I would say um, from my own personal experience and from experience of, of many students who have had altercations uh, over the past 30 something years that have told me about it is that the the people that want to uh, essentially rob you to take things from you um, are really looking to make it as fast easy and unnoticeable as possible and they tend to run away whereas people that are sort of that drunken assault or ego or fear based um, will will fight back once you challenge that that uh, fear ego or, or, you know, obviously they, they might be, uh, inebriated and not making good choices, but it's, it's still a fear and ego thing, even though it's diluted by uh, drugs or alcohol. So I think, um, if they want to take something and rob you, they're going to take off. If you give them resistance, if, if they're not, if they're really just out for some, some problems, I think you got to get ready to fight, which is why when you're doing your jujitsu techniques, the goal is to make the entire altercation altercation as short as possible. Um, the whole thought of like someone grabbing you and punching you and then you throwing them and then jumping to the ground and getting in mount and doing an arm bar and like, oh, that's just crazy. That's ridiculous thinking. Um, you do, you do not want to prolong the contact with this person, right? You want to take them down, you know, or strike them and take them down as absolutely fast as possible and disengage, um, you know, right away. If if it's a weapon attack, the rule doesn't really change. You still have to control the weapon and and you know take them down. Uh, but and when you disengage, you want to disengage with the weapon, not leaving them with it. Um, but still, it needs to be done extremely quickly. Uh, and I've seen sometimes. I think three, you've seen it too. When we've done uh, what I call the continuous attack, where the person attacks you and then you take them down and then they get back up and they just attack you again and you just kind of keep going. Um, you know, sometimes it, it's like, it takes a long time 
Uh, and I don't think the people are or the students are understanding that you don't you don't have a long time. You've, you've got to make it happen like immediately and you've got to do it with with sharpness and aggression. So that's something I think you can put into your training um, when you're practicing your self-defense techniques is you know, go at it with aggression and sharpness. I'm not saying with physical strength, I'm saying, you know, with correct technique, uh, but very quickly get that person to the uh, the ground, you know, have a very, uh, you know, focused and aggressive attitude and then disengage. And, and that will really help you in a real life situation. Can I ask you a little bit more about the mentality since we're talking about training? Should I, you know, as either an UK or Tori, while I'm, when I'm training, we go in typically with an objective mindset. You know what I mean? Like we're, I do, um, I do, yeah. Is that right? Or should I try to be conjuring up like images of death and destruction or injury to myself or potential no. threats to my family? <laughs> when I, when I do no, this? I wouldn't do that at all. Um, I, I would say part of the science behind your self-defense is to understand who your enemy is, understand the potential situations so that you are aware of them and uh, number one can avoid them. And number two, if you're in them, you realize you're in them. That That's incredibly important. But I don't really think that has to be followed by you wanting to be uh, um, angered mentally, emotionally, uh, um, aggressive. I, I think that will lead to probably some bad decisions. Uh, I think having a very, very clear and calm mind in those situations is what's going to help you be able to turn on and off aggression as a technique um, as you need as you need to. So I would say seriousness would and focus would be the things that I would have. Um, I would realize that if I'm standing there and somebody's pointing a pistol at my chest or somebody's just pulling a knife out of their belt. This is a very, very serious situation. My focus should become very, very keen. And I have to realize immediately I am actually in this and this is going to happen. And then allow your mind to not become enveloped in it, but simply be open and ready for whatever it is that happens next, which could be an attack or could be nothing. But, but accepting of whatever that is and then reacting as absolutely fast as you possibly can. I think that's the right way to go into it. I think, uh, you know, we've all seen the movies or read the books or we're talking about, you know, the Zen mind of the samurai and, and that sort of thing as, uh, as a Western way to try to explain what I was just talking about is going into a situation, serious, focused, accepting that this, this is actually what is happening right now and being prepared to, to move very, very quickly as, as soon as anything starts happening. Well, how about the, the fear factor in, in all of this? Is there any way to control my own fear? I mean, even even when I'm training occasionally, depending on the uh, size of my bouquet or, or some <laughs> other <laughs> factor in, in training, I, I had, there is a bit of fear. I, I'll admit it to the world. <laughs> there is a bit of fear in, the, in, in my head that either squash down when I'm going into it because I have no choice or, or do I just try to somehow push that out of my head to have that Zen focus you're, you're talking about? I, th I think over time, and it does take time and it takes a lot of practice and training in the dojo, um, and competing in the dojo, you slowly turn fear into focus. Um, fear is the anticipation of what might be or what might happen. Uh, 
based on all kinds of things, based on your history and your filters and your bringing up and you know how you see the world and all of those things. It's sort of projecting into the future about what might happen. And that is a different thing than being focused on what's happening right now, if you can see what I'm talking about. So um, if someone has a gun against my chest, fear is if he pulls that trigger and I'm not fast enough, I'm going to be shot and my family's going to be without a dad. And did I have a knife life insurance? And I really didn't think I was going to die before 50. And, um, you know, this whole scenario that kind of comes out in your head, whereas focus is, and, and seriousness is there's a gun against my chest. Um, in one second, that gun's going to be in my hand and he's going to be on the ground. Right. That's a very factual focused, serious, response. There is no thought about after that. So after that is fear, now is focus. So if, if you can if you can think about that, and it's hard, right? It's this isn't an easy thing. It's easy for me to say the words, but when you're in there and and you're doing something with someone, uh even in your training environment, um I see people not execute techniques that I know they execute amazingly well because in their head, they're worried about what that person's going to do when I execute that technique. What counter are they going to do? I don't know if it's strong enough. Does this work against a big guy? It's all these questions about the future. And I see people just get stuck they or, or just fail over and over again because that's where they live, right? They either live in the past on how much they failed in, in the past, which is factual, or they live in the future where they imagine themselves failing in some way. Uh, and that's, and that's fear. So being right there in the moment and just simply executing a technique with no expectation other than it will be executed is, is being in the present focused and serious. So practice that in class, um, and also be aware of it in class. So sometimes it's not even a, um, Active, I guess it would be an active exercise. I know when you've got some 250-pound guy sitting in mount on you and, uh, you know, you're going to do some kind of bridge technique or some kind of knee push technique, you're probably not, you know, far down the road into thinking about if, you know, if I push on his knee and he lifts my hand, blah, 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 it's, you're, you're just doing it. You're, you're actually at, in the moment. You're just moving and you're trying to wrap his arm and you're trying to, you're trying to bridge and you know, you're, you're changing positions here and there. You're actually doing it in the moment. So you probably already do this quite a bit. Um, but when it comes to a real attacker, you have to be able to conjure that up uh, very, very quickly. Uh, not think about the future and just think about the present moment. I'd like to go back to something you said earlier. Does a does an attacker can they become your enemy or vice versa? If that makes any sense. Like sure, sure. I totally understand what you're talking about. I think an enemy can become an attacker, right? I think if they are not able to um, essentially exercise their grudge, right, cause your your demise or you know, take your position or your or your dignity or your reputation or any of those type of things away from you, make you feel like a fool. If they're if they're failing at that and uh, and that is just you know something that's an overwhelming drive for them, they could resort to violence or have someone resort to violence on their behalf um, in order to feel like they're not failing at being your enemy. 
um, if you understand what I mean there. Uh, the other one, though, the attacker becoming an enemy. Um, I imagine that someone could seek revenge if you defended yourself, and in the course of doing that, you embarrassed them in front of their friends or you injured them, and then they just started thinking about, I'm going to find that person and, and get revenge on them. So absolutely, that could that could possibly happen. Um, I wouldn't say it's a large percentage. I wouldn't put it like way up there on my list of things to worry about. But this is a crazy world that we live in. So, you know, um, that is why, you know, again, that would be fear-based, right? We'd be projecting into the future if we were thinking that way. But what we can do is constantly be trained and constantly be prepared and be aware. It doesn't matter if the same guy attacks me twice a month apart because he was pissed off from the first time. He's still an attacker in that moment. I don't have to worry about the history or what's going to happen in the future. So just being prepared and being trained is the absolute best that we can do. I think you've uh, given us all a lot, lot to think about and a lot to um, actionable um, preparation and, and training that we could work into our, or into our training from a, you know, a mental and psychological perspective, which you know, which is half the battle in my book. It absolutely is. You know, I'm, I'm really recommending that, you know, the people that are listening to this, when they go back to class, one of the first things I want them to do, and I know, I know we've talked a lot of um, sort of philosophical stuff here, but, you know, something that's really tangible is when you do your techniques, do them very sharp and very fast and react incredibly quickly. It doesn't have to be with force. It just has to be, it just has to be quick and quickness only comes through repetition, right? You've got to do, you know, 10,000 of a technique before it's really unconscious and, and it's really in your brain and you can react. So I think that's really important. Uh, doing unrehearsed self-defense when you're at the appropriate level to do that is really key. Uh, just having an attacker attack you repetitively and you just having to respond and not letting yourself get all tied up. Um, one of the things that gets jujitsu people, uh, and grapplers in the most trouble in real life is not knowing when to stop. Um, and you really have to stop way before you probably want to stop. So practice that in class, you know, in that unrehearsed self-defense, uh, you do a technique, let's say you went for a throw and the guy held on to you. And next thing you know, you're on the ground. This, this does not turn into a Nawaza session, right? There's nothing that precludes you from just getting back up and disengaging right away. Um, that would be my first choice. Uh, puts me back in a in a standing position, ready ready to go. Um, or if you're being completely crushed, you know, striking the person, or you know, poking them in the eye, or you know, kneeing them in the groin, or you know, doing whatever just to be able to escape. Um, and then of course using your grappling techniques if if you have to. But I would say if you're on the ground for 30 seconds. After, you know, you've hit the ground, you're probably doing something wrong. Either your techniques on the ground aren't practiced enough or you can just pull them off quickly or you've mentally been sucked down into a rabbit hole of, of okay, now we're doing Nawaza. So I think everybody can practice not doing that in their in their unrehearsed uh, self-defense. I think that's, that's really key. Um, I think when we are practicing groundwork, so we all do have to understand how to defend ourselves on the ground, um, doing it with explosiveness, I think, is is uh, important. If it's Nawaza and like, hey, we're going to Nawaza for a half an hour, all right, you're, you're going to be dead if you are explosive for 30 minutes. But um, in each match, you can find moments where 
you have incredible focus and, 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 and a, an incredible explosion of power to either get out of a technique or go into a technique um, or to set up a technique. Uh, and I think that will also prepare you for what's necessary in an actual altercation on the street. Mentally, you have to think about why you are doing what you're doing. Because for a lot of us, this is just wicked fun, right? We love going to class a couple times a week and doing our jujitsu and being with our comrades and, uh, you know, doing Nawaza and doing Randori and sparring and all that stuff. And it's just, it's just awesome. But sometimes we just forget why, why we're there. And I had a great question from a friend of mine. Uh, he was a student of mine when he was a teenager, but then he went on to become uh, a, a Navy SEAL and, and, uh, you know, a professional security contractor with some of the highest level people in the world. And, and then a trainer for, uh, various government agencies for field operators and, you know, an actual really, really, really tough guy. And the last time I visited with him, uh, when we were talking about jujitsu, as we inevitably do, uh, I don't know the exact wording of his question, but it was like, are you training your guys for what's real? And, and in that question, he was saying, you know, are you guys just playing jujitsu in a dojo or are you doing everything it takes to really get out of a situation? Because what, it, what it really takes to get out of a situation is a little more than doing the dance in a dojo, you know, and I assured him about the things that we do and, you know, him having been a student in the, in the far past kind of understood, but, you know, there was actual concern from a real life field you know, operator that's out there in dangerous situations and has had physical altercations with like real combatants that we were keeping it as real as possible. So we have to keep that attitude in the dojo. And if keeping that attitude makes it so tough that we only have a few students that can make it and hack it, then so be it. But I don't ever want to have an instructor, have a student come back to them you know, it's been there for two or three years and say, you know, I just had my ass handed to me by some street punk because I've never really had the opportunity in class to really fight somebody. Um, that, that would mean that we did a disservice to that person. So we have to keep that attitude in the dojo. Well, thank you, Shihan. Uh, I don't have any more questions. Well, I got some questions for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you, you have had the opportunity, I know we've talked about this uh, several times in the past, to go through a couple of different martial arts. Um, you know, you have to often train with people that are much larger and stronger than yourself. Um, you know, you've had situations where you've expressed, you know, fear based off of um, discriminatory practices that happen in this country and that you could be subject to them and, and all, all of these type of very real things that you face when you are, are a martial artist. Um, how are you approaching your own training uh, to sort of make yourself ready for any of those type of situations? How, how are you doing it um, mentally and physically? And then how are you, how do you help other people do it? Whether or not they're martial artists or just, you know, friends and coworkers that express their, their fears. I'd like to hear a little bit about that. First of all, thank you for asking that question. It, it pervades my thoughts. I mean, it almost always has, even before, you know, any of the recent, you know, uh, things going on in the world and in this country. So that's one of the reasons, obviously, I, I went into martial arts because I was, I was just tired of being 
fearful and, and scared all the time. I was tired of always backing down and then beating myself up over it in my own head and and outwardly sometimes, you know, towards my own family or whatever because maybe I, or my own culture because maybe I feel that I was a product of of that or you know uh, maybe my upbringing could have been tougher or whatever and it may not be of my own doing and I I am born as who I am and and I get treated the way I do because unfortunately you know we do judge a book by its cover um, and that's just human nature I think so, a lot of people have those same feelings um, you know whether or not it's based on their culture or their race or just anything I, I think people feel those fears often uh, and and take action in different ways right on the two ends of the spectrum um, we have our end of the spectrum where we take an active response to that and work to change that and to shore it up and to make sure that we're able to hand ourselves and handle ourselves and then the other end of the spectrum literally are our attackers they're the people who live in fear constantly and react out of fear uh, and out of prejudice and out of ignorance. So it's really interesting to see that we all have that same sort of situation, but can really react to it on a spectrum from from being a martial artist to being a criminal and any anywhere in between. So thanks for sharing that. Yep. And I chose a more more productive way of dealing with the world we live in. And that's why I applied myself to martial arts. I mean, there were specific instances in my life where I just felt completely helpless and powerless in a situation which had no way out other than physical violence. And that's a feeling that I, and an experience I never wanted to repeat again the rest of my life through <laughs> destiny or what, you know, I found you, I found Kobukai. Ever since then, the, the next phase of my sort of learning and, and realization started when now this thing was, this is really tough. All right, it's, it, it was far tougher than anything I've ever done, both mentally and physically. And, and continuing to do it, you know, I started, you know, physically started getting used to it. Mentally, I started understanding what was expected and kept going. And part of it was my own personality. I, I don't like giving up easily or actually on the flip side, I, I actually I've gotten used to pain. <laughs> I've gotten used <laughs> yes. to pain. I've gotten used to abuse. And I sort of look at it as, you know, how much can I take and keep on, keep on going and keep pushing myself to that, you know, to that breaking point. And it's not just in, I'm not just talking about the training itself, like a, a five minute or three minute round of a Niwaza. It's getting up at 4.30 in the morning every day and, and trudging out of my bed with the, with the, um, chronic back pain and and you know bruises and whatnot and and getting dressed to, and, and half sleepy getting in my car and and driving to the dojo to to practice that's what I'm talking about that is harder than anything else is just to keep it up and to keep consistent and just keep on going with that that's right the warrior lifestyle there for sure but there's something to that because that mental fortitude that keeps you doing even those non dojo oriented things are the things that prepare you for a situation. It gives you that toughness, that, you know, preparation to take on anything that, that's about to happen. So I think the, those things are, are key. Another thing you said I, 
I really wanted to make sure that people were listening to um, understand is that every human being has the same exact fears that you were talking about, literally the exact same ones. What is different between individuals is the story that they create to deal with those fears. Everybody has fears that they're not strong enough, not adequate enough, not good enough, um, that they're mentally weak, that they're too emotional, that people take advantage of them, that they allow themselves to be taken advantage of. Like I, literally everybody has those exact same feelings. And, and it's hard to see that in other people because you always judge other people through your own lens. But every single person has those exact same set of fears. However, everybody's got a different story. So if somebody says, you know, it's because my parents, uh, you know, didn't make me tough or they were peaceful kind of people or on the other side of the spectrum, I was brought up in a in a tough neighborhood and nef never had enough, you know, direction or attention or um, I had something happen to me when I was young or any myriad of stories your brain will create to explain why you have that set of fears. But I think it's really up to us, um, as especially as you become higher and then become an instructor, to have the empathy to understand that everybody has the exact same fears. And jujitsu just happens to be one of those you know, avenues, one of those vessels that you can use that's so complex and, and has such depth that you can, um, you know, you can work on those individual fears and get yourself to a, a place where you have a different story. And, um, you know, you have conquered many of those fears, or at least just have a complete awareness that they exist and they don't have an emotional hold on you anymore. So I think that's one of the great things about everything that you were just talking about, the, from the getting up at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, having sore and bruise and going to the dojo, to the training, to the training with bigger partners, to just being a guy who said, I'm not going to be that way anymore. I'm changing it, right? You just literally took action. And as a result of that action, you know, the dominoes started to fall and, and everything in your life changes. So for everybody that's listening, you know, Sri's story is everybody's story in one way or, or another. To answer the final part of your question, not everybody is going to follow I did or what you did or what others in Kobukai do. And I've, I've come to terms with that because I, I, I used to think, man, like, you know, this is awesome. This is great for me. And my health and my health has improved, my state of mind, and I can actually deal with the things that I hear on the radio and on the news. And But I, I found sort of the hard way that not everybody will follow in that. Uh, you know, word's gotten around where, you know, where I, you know, places where I work and my family and my friends, and they know what I do. And occasionally they, they, they have nowhere else to go. And they, they come to me and they say, Sri, you know, this, this, this happened on the news and you know, I don't, I don't know what to think, and I'm, I'm kind of scared, and I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about it. I, I'm absolutely not a, not an expert in any respect, or, and, and I, I certainly don't want to give anybody any kind of advice to, um, you know, put themselves or, you know, their families in jeopardy. But, you know, the one thing I can do is to just share my thoughts and my feelings about things, and, you know, not over overblow them and first of all you know stop watching the news because they're just trying to get out there and <laughs> get ratings or whatever they're doing and it's not healthy to to continue to, to do that but I, I don't know Shane I just wanted to ask you if that's something that 
probably just stay away from or others or no no not at all and i think what you described is what we were talking about earlier and i think everybody can do this and you're absolutely right uh, you know uh, there's there's lots of people that do martial arts there's even less people that do jujitsu there's even less people that do self-defense jujitsu um you know it's not for everybody and we're we're talking about all the benefits that you can get from it but it's just not for everybody some people don't have the time or the will or the you know opportunity or, or whatever but what we can do for them is to understand that when we were talking about the difference between fear and then seriousness and focus as a martial artist and how to defend yourself as an attacker and that sort of thing, that concept can be used in all parts of people's lives. Um, somebody talks to you about a news report and they're they're worried, right? I'm like I'm worried about where the country's going, or I'm worried about the future for my children, or whatever. Y you can now know, you can now have the vocabulary and and the knowledge to talk about the difference between how fear is um, something that's in the future. It's something that you know you're conjuring up based off of maybe things that happened in your past, based off of people things that people have told you, but it's not real. What's actually real is right now, what's actually happening right now. What are you going to do with that? What's your focus? What are you going to do now? Right? Where is your focus? How serious are you about this? Okay. Don't, don't talk to me about, I'm really worried about where the country is going to be, you know, 20 years from now for my children. What you need to be t talking to me about and ask me about is the way it is right now, doesn't feel right to me. I wish there was something I could do. Let's talk about how I can focus right now and do something that's going to make, you know, a difference right now. I think that's real. And, and we can give that to anybody, whether or not they're martial artists or not. So again, everybody that's listening, understand that, you know, fear is not real. Fear is projecting into the future. Focus and seriousness is looking at what is right now and dealing with it and being prepared to deal with what's happening at the very moment that we can give to other people. Amazing. Thank you, Shihan. This has been a, a, you know, an awesome um, podcast, a wonderful uh, topic that you discussed and, and certainly your, your leadership shines above all. And well, I really appreciate, appreciate you uh, coming up with a lot of the subject that we talk about. I know you talk with a lot of the people in the dojo and your friends and, you know, you, you sort of raise them up and turn them into these really interesting conversations. I, um, I have to tell you, I go back and listen to a lot of our podcasts. Um, it's, it's an out-of-body experience. Uh, <laughs> some of the things that you and I, you know, talk about are, are important and deep things that just sort of, you know, manifest themselves in these conversations. And they help me just as much as I help I'm helping other people when I say them, but it reminds me of things. It reminds me of things I've been taught by great teachers and by mentors in my life and, and great leaders even outside of the martial art world. So, um, you know, I think these are really, really valuable for people to go back and listen through some of them and, and try to exercise some of the things that we talk about in each one of them. So I really appreciate it, Sri, and I'm looking forward to a whole bunch of new ones this year. And hopefully, maybe we can do some video and, and get that out to our people. So some of these uh, technical questions that keep coming up that are really hard to describe verbally, we can, we can do with video. So we're going to try to do that over the next couple of months. Yes, the pleasure's all mine, Shihan, and uh, I right. look forward to more. Thanks, Ree.